Hey everybody and welcome to episode 35 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel we have Pete Hodgson. Good morning from sunny San Francisco. Andrew Madsen. Good morning from cold Salt Lake City. James Zuber. Hey hey, my my. Rock and roll will never die. There we go. Mandel Young Mood. I'm a huge fan. So. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv and this week we have a special guest and that's Chris Judd. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Since you haven't been on the show before, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure. I am the CTO of a medium-sized consulting company here in Columbus, Ohio, called Manifest Solutions. And what I like to tell people is that by day, I'm a mild-mannered enterprise Java developer, but by night, I'm a crime-fighting mobile developer. Ooh, very nice. Do you wear a cape for that? I don't, but one of the applications I worked on is like ADT for your body. So if you feel like you're in a harmful situation, you can triple click this big button in the app and it will dispatch uh, emergency or police to your location or open a one-way uh, communication to a dispatch center. Oh, wow. wow. That's pretty cool. It's cool. It's kind of like your phone is its own superhero. <laughs> there you go. Or something. Do you wear glasses during the day and then take them off to save <laughs> the world? Only when I go to the uh, phone booth to change. For a second there, I was like, I'd like to see that. And then I was like, no, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so do you just do, you do mainly iOS development or do you do uh, when it comes to mobile or do you do Android as well? So I do a, a variety. I do Android, iOS, I do mobile web. I've done some phone gap and I'm titanium certified. Okay. Wow. That sounds like the kind of thing a superhero would say. I am titanium certified. <laughs> <laughs> But kryptonite allergic. All right. Well, we brought you on today to talk about MapKit. Well, that's great because I think uh, writing applications that take advantage of uh, mapping data are a lot of fun. Do you know how many times my iPhone has gotten me lost? No, I don't. Um, <laughs> You'd have to be a real expert to know that. Oh, I know man. about everyone's MapKit. It's about half the time, it seems. I get directions and it's just like, now, how did I wind up here? So the, 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 what's it called mapping? The Apple mapping has imp, I, I heard that it's improved quite a lot from the initial launch though, right? I've got to be honest, I, I totally gave up on Apple's mapping and I use Google Maps and I'm, I'm quite happy with that. But, um, I don't know. You, you guys could tell me if your, if your mapping experiences have been better in the years or in the months after the MapKit launch. I never so actually had a problem. From my perspective, I don't utilize the map application all that much. You know, I'm using MapKit, the framework underneath the covers, and for my daily getting to a location uh, map usage, I typically use the TomTom app on the iPhone, and I find that to be fantastic. Oh, nice. Okay. Interesting. But but really, dealing with mapping data can be quite challenging. I can talk about some scenarios that I've run into with the applications that I've built and surprises that I did not expect and and why I can see why Apple may be challenged by having their own mapping application and their own mapping data uh, of points of interest and stuff like that underneath their covers. Yeah, that sounds great. So what do you use MapKit for? In particular, two applications that I've developed for the state of Ohio. One is Historical locations across the state, I'm talking about physical locations where there's a big brown sign that has information about what occurred at that location. And then another one that's kind of similar, which is a application for uh, public colleges and universities across the state of Ohio that also uh, shows you on the map where those are lo- located. And both those applications have the ability to get driving directions from them 
by basically opening up the map application underneath the covers. That's really interesting. It made me go look and see what uh, the state of Utah has. There's a bunch of stuff on here. So what are the basic steps for getting an app working with MapKit? Sure. So it's really quite easy because, I mean, basically MapKit is the MK map view. It's a visual component that basically renders tiles historically and now uh, renders vectors of uh, map data. And so all you have to do is add the map framework to your application and then drop an MK map view uh, onto your view. And now you have the maps and they'll render the maps and you can add annotations, which will add the pins. Or if you wanted to customize those applications, you could put other images on top of those as well. Do you have to use a map kit view or are there other functions that MapKit provides that don't necessarily involve the view? So mostly MapKit is oriented around the view. You know, there's a sister framework called Core Location that you can utilize to um, find out what your current location is, your altitude, stuff like that. It can also be used to reverse geocode. That logic used to be in MapKit, but they rightfully moved it into Core Location to do the reverse geolocating. So basically, MapKit is really geared towards the visualization of map data. Okay, so if I put points on the map, is that Core Location then, or MapKit? If you put points on the map, that is really MapKit. Now, where you get those points may be coming from Core Location, depending on the app you're building. Okay. And and MapKit also has built into it to know where your current location is right now. So I'm sure if you've run the map application that Apple provides, you see that blue dot and it kind of pulsates until mm-hmm. it gets more accurate location data. You can do that same thing in MapKit by checking a property that says show user location. Well, that's nice. So you don't have to mess around with the core location stuff. If you, if you just want to, if you just want to display that information, you don't have to kind of do that by hand. Exactly. Oh, cool. Now, how accurate is it? Is it accurate enough, for example, to tell me which store I'm in at the mall? Or will it just tell me you're in this part of the mall? Right. So, MapKit uses core location underneath the covers, and so you're as accurate as core location can be. And then that depends on the type of device you have and the type of connectivity that's around. So, if you start with the cell tower, it's the least accurate. And so that's also the fastest to gather that information, the least battery consumption, and that accuracy is within a kilometer. If it uses Wi-Fi, you can get it down to 100 meters, and then the most accurate is down to 10 meters. Now, I think you recently had a show about Bluetooth and the the low-powered Bluetooth, and the um, I can't remember what those devices are called, but if you want even more accuracy, like within side of a store, you would have to have some type of solution like that or there's also been some solutions to get more accurate inside of a building using sound where your application could pick up sounds and then based on those sounds tell you approximately where you are at a finer grain, such as I'm standing in front of this picture inside of a museum or this artifact. And it does that by ambient sound, or is there some kind of noise generator on the you, picture? Right, you'd have to have a noise generator. Well, I think iBeacon is the iBeacon's the thing you're, you're talking about for the low low NG Bluetooth stuff. Right, iBeacon's, exactly. And I guess even even if you've got GPS, that accuracy depends on, on a few different things. It depends on, you know, if you've just got off an airplane, it will take a while. If you're in a 
in a like a metropolitan, you know, like a downtown with a bunch of buildings or in a canyon or something, it's actually surprisingly bad. Um, Correct. And and I have one funny story. So the first application I built, we went to demo at a conference, and we we're in a big conference facility, and the application is built around the state of Ohio. So it assumes that you're in the state of Ohio, and when it gets your location, it kind of zooms in to give that animation effect that's really cool. And the problem was either we had a rogue Wi-Fi device inside the building because we couldn't get satellite inside the building, or when the Google cars, this was back when Google was providing the maps inside of MapKit, would drive around, they couldn't get to the Wi-Fi signals inside the building. So the application kept on responding as we were in Connecticut, and it would zoom to Connecticut. And that was a horrible user experience because then we'd have to pan all the way back to Ohio. So it taught me a very valuable lesson to make sure I test um, <laughs> outside the location. So now I try to make sure that inside of my projects that I convince my clients to send me to Bermuda to make sure I try it outside the location. <laughs> of course, that hasn't happened very much. But nowadays, there's built-in debugging tools inside of Xcode that will allow you to simulate alternative locations. When I built my first application, that was not available. So how does that work with the if I wanted to pretend I was in Bermuda rather than actually getting on a plane? Sure. So on your debugging toolbar, there's an arrow, and in that arrow you can create a GPS file, which is just the locations, your geo lat long your lat longitude and the name. And then you can load that and basically select those locations and then it will simulate that you're at, at that location. Alternatively, there's a project that I used called iSimulate, which will can take the GPS location of a physical device tethered to your uh, machine while you're debugging an Xcode to also simulate. So maybe if you wanted to simulate movement in a car or something like that, that might be an alternative as well. And that's a combination of a library you load into your app as well as an application you install on your mobile device. And it can even simulate, I think the more recent versions of Xcode will even kind of, or the SDK, I suppose, will, will simulate kind of driving around and, and things like that. They have like some canned California-centric scenarios of like driving around on the 280 and uh, that kind of stuff. Being stuck in traffic for California. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, my virtual car is moving. That's not a bug. <laughs> I actually do think that the it kind of stops every now and then. At, well, I guess it stops at traffic lights, but uh, yeah. So I'm I'm a little curious. Let's say that you build this app with the historic sites. How do you get from there to giving people turn by turn directions? Do you actually have to tell it to open another app to do that, or can you build that in with MapKit? So if you want to have turn by turn, you cannot build that in with MapKit. It would be a violation of the uh, agreement. And so what I did is there's a URL you can pass to the shared application, and that can include the Latin longitude of your destination and your starting point, your source address. And so that's maps.apple.com slash maps, question mark, D address, and then the Latin longitude of your destination address and S address with your Latin longitude of your, um, your source where you're starting from. And does that kick over to the Apple Maps app? Exactly. And recently in iOS 7, they did add a new API so that 
other applications can register for uh, routing information. So I mentioned that TomTom Tom app before. So it could register and say, hey, I can give driving directions so that it could alternatively uh, go into that application. So what you're saying is that you could give it the URL and it would open TomTom Tom instead of the Maps app on the iPhone? In that case, you wouldn't be doing it with the URL. The URL is more specific, uh-huh. but there's a way of calling and saying, hey, I want directions, and it will basically tell you what applications offer that routing, and then the user can ch- select which one of those applications they want to route use for routing. So how is it a violation of the terms for you to do it, but not for TomTom to do it? Well, you can't utilize the data coming from Apple or Google to do turn-by-turn directions or uh, fleet type of applications. And and that's basically because they want to utilize their own applications in those markets. In the case of TomTom, they have their own map data that they may be licensing from another source. And so they're not utilizing the Apple data. Right. That makes sense. Okay. So what other things have changed for iOS 7? I mean, I did some map stuff in iOS 4, iOS 5, and I looked at the APIs, the documentation now, and like a lot of them are deprecated in iOS 7. So what other new things are coming out or are out? So in iOS 7, uh, there's a couple. So one is overlays, overlay levels. So there were overlays that were added in iOS 5, I think. And the overlay levels give you the ability to, to set, I think, just three different levels. So one of the challenges were routing information, so route signs, road names were being covered up by the overlays. So now you can select whether you want those on top or on bottom. One is they added the camera, MK camera. And this allows you to do positioning, tilting, heading, so that it doesn't have to be just a uh, bird view straight down. So that's kind of a nice, more user fancy feature. They also added the ability to do a a snapshotter to take a picture of the map at a particular location if you need that. I already mentioned the uh, direction and routing for applications to register to provide those services and then take advantage of those. They added a new geo district polyline and they added a new type of overlay rendering rather than the previous overlays to give you some more flexibility. They also added, which is interesting, uh, tiled overlays. So maybe if you had a, a map of a historical battle and you wanted to overlay that over top of the map provided by MapKit, you can do that by giving it tiles and it will scale those appropriately instead of you having to do all that work. Very nice. One thing I'm curious about, I worked before for a crime mapping company. Are you a superhero too, Chuck? Um, only for my day job and only in the past. <laughs> At nighttime, he turns into a mild-mannered developer. There we go. I guess my question is that, you know, one of the things that we were working on for, for some of the customers that we had was doing, like, uh, heat mapping and things like that. Can you do that with the overlays? There's nothing built in to do that, but as long as you have geolocations, you could build your own overlays and determine the colors based on some other type of data. Okay, so you could just color sections of the map? Right, you could draw a polygon based on points that would mark the boundary of Mm -hmm. the location for your heat, and then you can color the overlays, whatever color you want, and uh, define transparency and stuff like that. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, this is part of the areas where like, Google Maps on the web was always kind of the gold standard, and it was hard to get the same kind of functionality you could do with creating an app with overlays and kind of custom applications. But it sounds like Apple's coming a long ways in helping us deliver that kind of functionality. Yeah, so they definitely are. And it actually started with the before Apple took over from Google, they added the overlays. And the nice thing about the overlays is they scale as you zoom in and zoom out. Prior to that, you had to have a basically a transparent view with your shape over top, and then you had to do really hokey stuff in order to simulate the zooming and pinching and getting the overlays to, to really match the changes in the map. But now all that's handled for you. Very nice. So right about the time of the Apple SDK map debacle, Google came out with their own kind of library for doing their own maps. Did you Have you had a chance to play with that? So it, it was actually about six months later, which was frustrating for a lot of people. Google came out with their own app, and then six months later, they came out with the Google Maps SDK for iOS. Um, I have not used it. I've been happy enough with the apps. I didn't have to make any changes uh, when Apple made their changes. But Google's not the only alternative. There's actually a whole bunch of alternatives. If you don't like maybe the way the colors are rendered by Apple, if you want offline storage of map tiles or vectors, if you want points of interest that are already built in, if you want some type of interactive data, such as traffic data and stuff like that, there are other services that offer that. And so some of the examples are RouteMe, uh, CloudMade, MapQuest, Microsoft Bing Maps has a, a component, MapBots. If you're an enterprise and you have Arc GIS, they also have a mapping component, so you could take advantage of mapping data you might already have in your system. And you can always use a web view with uh, map kits for mobile web also inside of your application if, if that meets your needs. I've also used a mapping turn-by-turn one called Scout. It's kind of nice. Anyway, just throwing that one in pile. Yeah, yeah. I tried installing the Google SDK when it first came out because I was kind of working on a, a map application. And after spending two, three hours getting it included in the application, I realized my API key I could use for Google Maps on the web didn't work for it. At that point, I just threw my hands up in disgust and walked away. But it's good to see there's some other options out there. Yeah, I guess that brings up that in Mavericks, MapKit is on OS X too. And I, I don't know if you've... Have you had... Uh, have you had a reason to use MapKit on, on the Mac at all? I have not, no. Neither have I. But I, I understand the API is basically identical, right? I believe so. I would imagine so. I think that's right. So what what's kind of the coolest thing that you've seen people do with MapKit? Yeah, so one of the applications I really liked was a, um, you know, by default you put pins on a map, but those annotations can have an annotation view that could be anything that, is an image or that you could render live. So one of the interesting things was taking photographs of your photo library and putting those on a map. And I found that really fun because I forgot that I had even been to some cities and the fact that I had photos there reminded me that I was there. That's probably the most interesting one I've seen. I don't remember Tijuana at all. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Are there any um, kind of common common pitfalls that you, you think people... People who are either, uh, who are getting into using MapKit for the first time might, might run up against that, that you can help, uh, give some advice to these folks and help them avoid some of the, some of the, uh, obvious mistakes. Sure. So one of them is to assume that 
location data is valid data. That was a scenario I provided before where um, we were at a conference center and I expected it to be good data. So kind of basically make sure you know where your bounds are and handle that appropriately. Or you also mentioned the scenario where you're in a bid city and it may report you as someplace else or not be able to get the data. So make sure you handle those scenarios where you can't get data or it's inaccurate. Also remember that users have a preference. When your application starts up and you have Mac kit, the user can say, hey, I don't want this application to use my current location. So you can't assume that you're always going to have their location. Another thing is if you put your own images on top of the view for your annotation, there is an offset. And depending on the image, if you have a shadow or something like that, you may need to offset that a little bit. So it's going to put that image by default at the center of your image, but a shadow or something like that would cause you to have to adjust it a little bit. Otherwise, it's going to be slightly off for your location. Most cases, it may not be a problem, but if you need to be really accurate, you might want to make sure that that's true. But probably the biggest thing is the accuracy of your data. So I was demoing to my son's class that were talking about Ohio history, and I was demonstrating the application showing that you can find all these interesting points. Unbeknownst to me, my son is in the background playing with the app on the screen, and when I turned around, I found that there were still a bunch of map points that were right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> and obviously, right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean is zero, zero. So the data coming to me from my service provider had some inaccurate data. And as he played with it more, I noticed that there were some map points in um, India, which is in the exact opposite part of the world as Ohio. So basically, they had switched the latitude and longitude. Nice. Got their oh. negative sign mixed up. Yes, exactly. So the other aspect of that is the precision. You want to have as many decimal points after the integer value in your Latin longitude. And every time you lose a decimal point, you lose precision. So when I talk about this at conferences, I have a demonstration using the uh, horseshoe, the Buckeyes football stadium, where if you were meeting somebody and you said, let's meet at this geolocation at the 50-yard line, you would find each other. And I slowly take away some of that precision, and then you go to maybe three yards away, and then it's like 10 yards away, and you're probably going to find each other. And then you're in C-deck, and you're meeting somebody at the 50-yard line. If you lose a little bit more precision, you're on the other side of the Ohio State campus. And if you lose one more precision, you're in uh, Sorority Alley. And so you may have a lot of uh, explaining to do why you weren't <laughs> at the 50-yard line. And so you can lose precision in a lot of different ways. One is you don't get the precision that you need, or possibly you do some mathematical functions on it and lose it, or maybe you store it into a database that doesn't have enough precision either, and so it truncates some of that data. So making sure you get as much latitude and longitude accuracy as you can is really important. So to help us kind of get a ballpark figure, so, so one of the main or one of the, the basic granularities is like one kilometer. How many decimal places would that be for latitude and longitude? That's a good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I think that, does that vary by, oh, I'm just going to make myself sound stupid. I feel like that varies by, if you're at different latitudes, then the degrees are different, but I could be talking yeah. absolute nonsense. I think you're right, Pete. It, it, it's somewhat right. variable based on how far you are away from the equator and stuff like that. Like having 
vague flashbacks of high school geometry <laughs> and not paying attention. So one thing that I have done with uh, maps that I'm, I'm a little curious about, and you did mention a little bit of this, but uh, drawing polygons. So, for example, you could uh, demarcate a neighborhood or you could demarcate an area of interest or a national park or something like that. I know that some of that is built into the map. You know, you see the outline of the national park on the on the map, so you know you're driving into it or out of it. Is there a way for people to actually do that themselves? Say this area is of interest to me one way or the other? Is it built in so you can say, I'm interested in all state parks? Is that what you're asking? Uh, not quite. So let's say that uh, I wanted to kind of draw a line around my neighborhood because I'm interested in maybe I have a feed of events that have location data and I want to filter them so that they're inside of that area. Does MapKit allow you to basically draw or demarcate an area? I know that you can set up locations as points on the map, but can you set up an area on the map? So not necessarily render it with an overlay, but just mark points mm -hmm. so you know where they are. I don't think in the way you're referring to, and I'm going to turn the question a little bit and say one of the things is even though they're vectors, there's still these levels there that, and, and any time you ask for the map to go to a certain location, whether you're zooming into a location or trying to position the map, it's always basically a recommendation to MapKit, and then they will try to do a best fit based on the amount of data that they have at that particular level. So you can re recommend, I want this location to be 500 meters from this uh, center point maybe 700 meters provides a better rendering level and, and display, so the map kit may adjust that to itself. Right, and then you can have the points that make up the polygon and render that in an overlay and do whatever it else you whatever else it is that you're going to do with that, that data. Right. Can you do things more along the lines of, like, set up your own course? So, say I want to make an app that will chart a run for me. So, I, you know, again, it's just a series of points, run to here, run to there, run to there, run to there. Does it allow you to do that? I guess when you set up the next point, you just draw the line between the two points? Right. You, you can do that. Now, remember, when you set up those points, it's going to be as the flow cry, uh, the crow flies and not right. following streets and stuff like that. So if you wanted to follow a street, you'd have to be much more specific and finer grain, but you could do that. Can you tell it to follow streets or does it not work that way? No, it doesn't work that way. Okay. Yeah, I think that would be a pretty pretty tricky problem to solve. I think it would be a pretty cool feature too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it gets yeah. it gets down to the level of how often do you want to check your your GPS and what kind of what accuracy you can get uh -huh. off that. So if you're checking your location every 15 20 seconds, you can probably get down what street you're going on. Mm -hmm. Well, if yeah. you want to do it while you're running, you could capture that information and be pretty accurate. If you wanted to predict your run, that's where it'd be hard because the roads are windy, so it'd be as the flow crow flies. But, you know, if you checked it every couple seconds, you could get pretty accurate and follow those roads. Yeah, otherwise you have to set the point so that they approximate the curve of the road. Right. And are those points core location points, or are they? is there some other entity in MapKit that actually... Um, so that's why I say that the sister 
API is core location. So for to do the overlays, you would create a CL location coordinate 2Ds, and you put, use the Latin longitude for that, and you would create as many of those as you need. And then you can put those into an array, and it will follow that order of the array and then ultimately close that polygon. Uh-huh. And you tell it how many points and pass that array to the uh, polygon and add that polygon as an overlay to your map view. Now, you said that it was a core location something 2D. Is there a 3D core location location thing? or? I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Well, there is altitude along yeah. core location. And that's that's separate, though. Like core location is a coordinate plus. I think I'm right that a CL location is those 2D coordinates plus an altitude plus a accuracy plus a timestamp. So and speed, technic- speed technically too. it's like four-dimensional. Oh, plus speed, it's five-dimensional. Yeah. Can you, you just blew set, my mind. Can you set the altitude so that you're 20 feet underground or 50 feet in the air? You, you can set, uh, definitely set, set it so you're up in the air. Because, I mean, that's how they, you know, the, uh, the, the way you represent locations in, in like, a mappy world isn't, isn't like 3D like XYZ. It's basically where you are on a sphere and then how high or low, how far you are from the center of that sphere, right? But then you kind of fake it a little bit to make it easy and you say that, oh, well, the Earth is a sphere that's, you know, this wide, so we'll consider that to be zero. Yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of fun math that you can do with that. Because mm-hmm. there's so many approximations to how spherical the Earth is or how oblong it is and, uh, think, you know, so it, it approximates the curvature and approximates the unevenness of the Earth and things like that. So I've had to deal with this before with, uh, with other apps, just not on the iOS device or the Mac. So what else does core location do other than just give you some construct for saying something is right here? So primarily what I've used it for is just determining my location, and you can determine that location with the level of accuracy that you want or relative level of accuracy that you may want. But as I mentioned before, it can also do reverse geolocating for you, and it also has now the um, the beacons included in it. Uh-huh. So if I'm setting up a location I want to, I want to, I want to monitor my run, What's the process for that? We set up a core location manager. Do we register something from the system? Do we do this ourselves? Are we kind of polling, or how does that work? So they've added a bunch of functionality in the most recent ones in core location. Uh, in 7, to do some of the stuff more in the background and call back to your application. And I've not used those as much, but historically what you would do is create the location manager, register as a delegate, tell it the degree of accuracy you're interested in, and it will call back to you with your location and your altitude and all that stuff that's associated with that uh, CLO core location 2D item. Okay. And then you could gather those, put them into an array or into a, a database or something like that. And I think okay. with um, the the change, some of the changes with iOS seven, which I guess is around power management, is they're doing this um, this coalescing thing where it uh, used to be you would just get like I think it used to be you would get this is your current location. You, when that delegate fired that you registered, it would tell you this is your current location, uh, you know, with accuracy and all that stuff, and this is the where you were last time. But now it actually will give you an array of locations saying. 
So it will, it will coalesce those rather than just pinging, waking up your app and pinging it over and over and over again. It will, it will hit them. It will maybe coalesce them into a bunch of locations and then send them with less granularity. But you still have all the information. It's just that you're not being woken up every time. And presumably that's a battery thing. Yeah, there's different ways. And there's also a concept of a significant location change, which yeah. it's not really clear what that entails. Does anyone know? I was I working it, with this a couple of years ago. I think that depends on on that. When you register with the delegate, you tell it like what granularity, what accuracy you're interested in. So you say, I'm a pedestrian app or I'm a driving app or something like that. And then there's an other, which according to the documentation can include boating. <laughs> it's the randomest thing for them to put in the documentation. But I think that's what they, that's how they decide what's significant or not. So obviously if you're a pedestrian, then small changes are more important than if you're on a boat. There's also a way of telling it you have a geofence, and so when you enter or leave that geofence, it could also call you back. There's also the, the new iBeacon stuff, right, where you get a notification when you come in range of a, a Bluetooth iBeacon. Yeah, I think that means kind of the same as... I mean, I think the, the that works pretty much the same as geofencing, except you also get a range of how far you are from that. Well, a, a guesstimated range of how far you are from the beacon. So the beacon would know what its latitude and longitude is? No. It would be? The beacon, the, you'll just know, as far as I know, with, with iBeacons, so some folks at the Fort Worth, for the Fort Worth Christmas party, some Fort Workers made a scavenger hunt using these things. I was chatting to them about it just the other day. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it was kind of a fun thing, people running around San Francisco with their iPhones. Uh, turns out the hardest part of building this scavenger hunt app was actually figuring out how to get it onto people's iPhones without having to use the app store. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, yeah, I think that they just you just find out, oh, I'm, I'm this far away from a beacon with this ID, and then I guess it depends on... We were using these Estimote beacons that have been kind of popular for... For, for using in, in retail environments. And I, with those, I don't think they know where they are. They just know, you know, I'm a beacon with this ID, and they'll they'll tell your phone when, when you're nearby, basically. And you can kind of try and do triangulation and stuff by looking at how far you are from multiple beacons, but it's not going to be very good quality because that range is, I, as far as I understand, just based on how far away, um, on, sorry, the power of the, the radio signal. So... It just kind of guesses, well, you know, the, I'm getting a, a signal at this much, uh, a, a signal strength of this, so I'm probably about this many meters away from the from the beacon. Awesome. Do do we have any other questions about core location or map kit that we want to cover? Yeah, I kind of like to get some guidelines on, because I think as, as Pete mentioned before, it's kind of a, a balance between kind of accuracy, how often you get readings in your battery life. Like, do you have any guidelines for how to approach the problem? So one thing that the um, instruments provides is a, a battery monitor. So I think that would be the best is is to actually utilize that and and measure that. And it will capture the data while you're disconnected with the device because you want it to be in the real world. And then when you reconnect with the device, it will basically t- explain to you the battery utilization uh, that your application used. And so that you can get the you can determine based on your application what is the best smits of battery life versus uh, the need for data. Okay, so it's primarily manual, but at least with instruments, you can get some data and it'll actually tell you what your battery usage is versus you just trying to estimate it based on your percentages. That's pretty cool. I guess part of it is just 
turning off the turning up setting telling core location you don't care about locations after you've after you've got a good estimate i mean i guess probably i don't even know whether whether that's something that as an app developer we should be doing or whether we should just assume that when we say to core location we care about this you know this much accuracy then we can rely on core location to to not tell us about uh, small changes and to turn off the gps and all that kind of stuff I've always kind of assumed. So I, I have a, an iPhone app that I developed that's just for 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 it's a transit app and it um, needs to know where your nearest station is. So you, well, it doesn't need to, but it, it will tell you what your nearest station is. And obviously, I use core location for that. And I I just kind of assumed that it was good practice to turn off the deregister my interest in location updates after I've got a good estimate that's reasonably recent. But maybe I'm overthinking it, and I should just leave it on all the time. No, you're right. You really should turn it off. If you're done with the the data, so let's say you're a note taking app and you want to grab the geolocation of uh, where the app, whether the note was created, you know, you'd want to get that measurement and then turn it off. As opposed to if it's a jogging application, while you're jogging, you want to keep capturing that data. So there are def- definitely different use cases for that. Okay. Is there any way to be, because I know that with a lot of these apps, if they need the geolocation stuff, they'll actually prompt you if you have it turned off. But when you're done, they don't always prompt you to turn it back off, so you have to remember yourself. I think that would be an app-by-app case where you'd have to determine what's the the best usability for your users, whether it makes sense to turn it off automatically or have them let you know when they're done utilizing it. And you can have that be something kind of inferred, like if they're on a specific screen, then they want location to be updated, but if they're not on that screen, then then they don't care. Although obviously, I don't know, maybe you would get more accurate location information if you just turned on core location when you first fired up the app, just to, to kind of get the GPS radio warmed up and, and guessing at a good location, and then you could kind of turn it off once you get your first location, and then turn it back on when they go to a specific screen or something. But probably there's Apple engineers in Cupertino kind of tearing their hair out of the idea of me doing that. Think of the battery. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to push us along to picks unless there's anything else. I don't have anything else. All right. Well, then we'll go to the picks. Um, We'll make Andrew start us off. Okay, I've got two picks today. And my first one is Objective Cloud. This was... I think this was announced about a year ago, but uh, as we record today, it just finally went into public beta, so you can actually try it out without a, an invitation. I haven't tried it out yet, but I'm excited to give it a try. But the idea is that you can write your server-side code in Objective-C and then make requests to it using like a standard REST interface, but everything on the back end is Objective-C code, and it's running on OS X, so you can use OS X-specific APIs in your server-side app kind of an interesting solution for people who are primarily Objective-C programmers to do some of their web programming in language, the language they're familiar with. No, I'll be out of a job. Actually, I'm not worried. I don't think it's going to take over the world, but it seems interesting. <laughs> Objective-C um, just had to be JavaScript, didn't it? You know? <laughs> We're server-side, too. And then my second pick is, is I, I was actually in Tampa, Florida last week, and when I'm on when I'm on a trip, one of the things I always do is find the local record stores and go check them out. And I was surprised to find that Tampa actually has a really cool record store called Sound Exchange. And 
thing I liked, besides their big selection, was they sell a bunch of classic stereo equipment, and particularly they have a whole bunch of reel-to-reel tape decks, and they also sell pre-recorded reel-to-reel tapes, which are pretty hard to find, so it's a cool place. If you're in Tampa, go check it out. Those are my picks. So how do you get your records back to uh, Utah? I had room in my suitcase, and I just packed them in the middle, and they're usually fine. So I I put it in carry-on luggage, so I've never had a problem. Aren't they, like, super heavy? They're pretty heavy, yeah. But I, I don't I don't buy, like, a whole crate or anything. <laughs> At least not usually. Awesome. James, what are your picks? All right, I'm going to do one pick. So my wife and I, we keep things pretty healthy. You know, we shop at the co-ops. Uh, eat mostly organic, that sort of thing. But to put it nicely, a lot of the kind of prepackaged food you buy at those stores, not really that good. Turns out, Putting stuff in a can doesn't taste that good unless you add a bunch of weird stuff to it. But I just found one thing that I really like to eat. The company's by Jayuti. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but they do a Punjabi chul, which is pretty much crack. It's Indian food. Uh, They're very good. Put it with rice. Get it by a can. And yeah, I like it a lot. Very nice. That's my pick. Pete, what are your picks? Uh, I'm freestyling, and I'm just going to pick Indian food. Because Indian food is so good. I'm actually going to pick Indian food and cooking your own Indian food. It's actually surprisingly easy to cook Indian food from, from scratch. Like, you have to do this initial upfront investment in on the spices. But the spices aren't that expensive and they last for ages. And uh, you can impress your, your friends and loved ones by, by making really yummy Indian food. Uh, like Choli. Choli? Um, okay. Yeah, like chana. I think it's choli. It's also called like chana masala. Actually, ironically, or uh, by coincidence, I was actually looking up a recipe for that last night. So it's like it's like the chickpea, chickpea and tomato thing, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I should have asked the guy from the UK before <laughs> saying anything. You know. Yeah, we we yeah. I'm not going to make any reference to colonies. Um, <clears throat> okay, so Indian Indian food, I guess, is my pick, and making it yourself, and then my beer pick this week is not a beer. It is an entire brewery. Uh, I'm going to pick Upright Brewing, who I don't even know where they're based. I think maybe maybe uh, Portland or somewhere somewhere up there. But they do really good kind of like uh, French and Belgian style beers. So lots of kind of farmhouse kind of saisons and uh, stuff like that. They have a really good rye beer. Their beers are numbered. Like there's like Upright Brewing number four, number six, etc., which makes it really easy for me to remember which ones uh, I've had before and which ones I haven't tried yet. So, yep, Upright Brewing. If you can get hold of them, then definitely give them a shot. That's it. Awesome. All right. Well, I've I've had a little bit of uh, trouble trying to figure out what to pick. I think I'm going to talk through the project management system I have set up for my client projects these days. I used to use Pivotal Tracker, which is a terrific tool, and I highly recommend it. So uh, they're going to get a pick. But the problem was was that half the time my clients were either paying for Pivotal Tracker themselves, which meant that me paying for it was kind of a waste, or I was uh, working on something where it was you know just me and I didn't really need it um, because the client was never looking at it anyway. So I moved over to hosting my own Redmine setup, and so I'm going to pick Redmine. It's a little bit not exactly what I want, but it has enough of what I want to where I, I, I really like it. And I have a few plugins for it that I'm using. The first one is the Redmine Backlogs plugin, which is super duper handy. 
And basically what it is is it's kind of a, a Kanban board. So you have your stories and you can add tasks to your stories. And each of these stories are, are in their own um, backlog that you set up, um, which is effectively a sprint. So you tell it when it starts and ends and things like that. It gives you a burn down and all that good stuff. Anyway, so then you can move the tasks across from new to in progress, you know, so on and so forth. So that should give you an idea of some of the things that it does there. And I just, I really like it. It's it's worked out real real nicely so far. And then Redmine also provides you with things like a wiki and stuff like that. So, you know, you can go and you can put information about the project in there and, and just, uh, you know, manage things that way. And, uh, yeah, so I'll just, I'll just leave things there. I'll put links to those picks in the show notes. So do you host your own uh-huh. Redmine? So you just have your own box and just run it on that? Yep. Okay. Anyway, Chris, what are your picks? So I'm also a Redmine user, so I'll second that. I know you guys frequently choose your beverage of choice, so I thought I'd share mine. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge fan of Pepsi Max. If you see me at a conference, I usually have a couple bottles. And basically, I like it because it's a diet soda that tastes great, doesn't have an aftertaste. And uh, it also has a little bit of extra caffeine for those late-night coating binges. And then for my second pick, I'll choose CocoConf. I think it's just a fantastic conference that Dave Klein and his family put on. They have incredible speakers, Jonathan Penn, Daniel Steinberg, Chris Adamson, Bill Dudney, Aaron Hillegas, and some other speakers from the Bidnerd Ranch. And so every time I go, I just learn a lot of great information about iOS and Mac development. Plus one for CocoConf. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Chris. It, it was interesting to talk about and Hopefully some people will uh, have some stuff from this that they can go and put into their apps and do cool things with. Thanks for having me. And for all those people that want to try it out, definitely go try it out. It's a very easy framework to get started with, and you can do a lot of interesting things in your app. So if if people want Java, where do they get you for your day job? And if they want iOS, where do they get you in general? <laughs> well, I'm javajud at gmail.com, or you can do uh, javajud on Twitter. And so that's those are two easy ways to get a hold of me. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll wrap up the show then. Thanks again for coming. Catch you all next week.